Welcome to Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd. Whether you're listening live on the Community Radio Network or via podcast, here's the show where you learn from experts, be inspired by journeys, and discover more about making your small business a success. I'm Alexi Boyd, broadcaster, advocate, and small business owner. Let's meet today's guest. So according to today's guest, Ben Joseph, manufacturing in Australia is one sector in which you shouldn't niche. With tight margins, a globally competitive industry and fragile supply chains, a lack of diversification can mean you can't adapt fast. For example, when the global shutdown strikes, how can you pivot your way out of that one? The industry, like all other small businesses, has learned a great deal from 2020. Good, solid processes, tech integration, communication and, of course, resilience have been necessities for survival into 2021. Part of Josco's recipe for success has been solid processes, access to real-time data through reliable tech integration, but more important than that, communication with key stakeholders. When the world shut down because of COVID, they relied on those relationships to build back up again. And some were in Australia and some were overseas. See, there is diversification. But what of the future of the industry and the reality of being independent in Australia? Is it just a pipe dream? Is the industry which will drive change or is it key policymakers that have a role to play in shaping its future? So let's hear from Ben, who has a lot to say on the issues of the future of manufacturing, procedures, tech integration, communication and, of course, resilience necessary for survival from 2020 into 2021. Welcome to the program, Ben. Morning, Alexi. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me on Small Biz Matters. You're, of course, on the other side of, well, you're not on the other side, you're just in Melbourne, <laughs> not that far away, but thanks <laughs> for joining us on Zoom today. And yep. uh, it was a really interesting discussion we had recently on a webinar, which is why I've invited you to come on the program, because you bring with it an interesting perspective on the scenario of manufacturing after what has been just a tumultuous year, a crazy year for the sector. So... Tell me a little bit about what that year has meant for you and your business and what, what you believe the sector has been impacted by and then what you think the future could be. Yeah, it's, it was certainly an interesting year. Um, we, uh, I, I started off the year last year on a trip to Europe thinking this was a localised problem that was in China and uh, by March we were preparing for the worst and battening down the hatches and, and preparing for what was to, to, to come. Um, it was a year, I think, where there was, was probably a couple of key takeouts that, that we had from the year. Um, one is access to information, fast information, uh, understanding where your business is at, what's going on with your customers, your suppliers, your supply chains. And as you mentioned, being able to pivot quickly based on, um, based on that information that's coming through uh, and very much being flexible uh, in terms of what's going on as well. We started the year uh, thinking that we were heading into a, a very severe recession. Um, we really uh, were getting the business match fit for what we thought was going to be a, a, a dreadful period. Um, in a very short space of time for our business, it turned around though very quickly and we went from expecting it to be very quiet to it actually got very busy. Is, and there, is there anyone in you or your industry or your circles who predicted that bounce back? I mean, I'm assuming it's because people were home and they they were shopping more online. Or I, I'm not sure what it was, but did anybody predict that given the scenario that you were in? In, in all fairness, no. Or if they did, I, I certainly don't know of them. Um, it was um, 
well, it's interesting in our industry, and I, I really feel for people um, because, you know, depending on what industry you're in, it really depended on what it, what sort of year you had last year. And what happened very much was that uh, a lot of industries such as uh, travel and entertainment and, and other areas where people were spending money were, as we know, shut down very quickly. Um, but people still wanted to spend money. They still were looking at, at things to do. So what we found was that people went into renovating their homes. Um, suddenly their, their home was their safe place and they suddenly had money available and it was, what can we do with that? And in doing so, they supported a lot of our customers, people such as Bunnings and Total Tools and Minor Tens, um, and purchased a lot of our products um, as a result. So it was... Uh, what we anticipated in March um, by May had completely turned into a different situation that then accelerated very quickly throughout the rest of the year. So here you are in an industry, I'm presuming, that has pretty um, set and, and inflexible supply chains and yet you had to pivot quickly. Um, mm. what, what was there to learn from that inability in the past to pivot to suddenly have to change that culture when it came to moving fast and making decisions? Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting question. Um, a lot of the supply chains that we work to are very much based on just-in-time. Um, you know, we are forecasting with our factories three, four months in advance in terms of what we anticipate, um, and, and that's based on real-time data in many cases that we're getting through from our customers. So initially, when you're expecting a slowdown, the first thing you have to do is, is push that back through the supply chain. It's a bit like an aircraft carrier that you're trying to slow down. You can't just turn off, turn it off. Um, and then likewise, after we spent so much time in sort of March and April trying to slow it down, then trying to speed it back up again when suddenly it goes the other way um, was frightful. <laughs> and did you find did you find that it was um, the, the fact that you're in a particularly competitive industry that meant that you couldn't fast speed up or slow down? Did you have to rely on your communication and those relationships that you had with your supply chain to make it happen? Yeah, communication was essential. And what we found is we have factories around the world that we're working with, including factories here in Australia. And every country was affected in a different way. So when this first impacted, it was China that was the, was the epicentre of what was going on. And so we were looking to think, okay, how can we shift more production into Europe or the United States or, or, or wherever? And then China actually bounced back um, fairly quickly. Um, and then suddenly the issue was actually more so with um, the United States and with Europe and, and so forth. Um, and that was the challenge we had to work with with those factories because it wasn't just those factories, it was then their suppliers as well working their way through. Um, and then that further got exacerbated by uh, issues with freight. Um, so, you know, what we found was um, uh, suddenly planes stopped flying. And a lot of air freight around the world travels on passenger planes. And so the cost of air freight uh, increased around 500%, uh, which was phenomenal. Um, suddenly, as demand started to pick up, people had run their stocks down, not only in Australia, but this was going on around the world, and then suddenly found that they needed additional stock and they needed it quickly. So even if your factories were able to produce at a much higher rate, the issue then came actually getting it onto ships, um, getting containers. Um, you know, there is a shortage of containers in the world at the moment. 
crazy Because they keep sounds. on falling off the ships. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that was unbelievable. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, what's happening is there are containers going into the United States and Europe and those containers are, are needing to be fumigated in a way that hasn't happened before. Ah, uh, yes, of and course. So, the turnaround time of those containers is is getting much longer. And so, you know, containers is, is like stock and, and inventory, that there's a certain amount and it's a finely balanced um, equation. And all of a sudden, if you take out, is it 20 30% of containers, because it's taking longer to fumigate, then there's not enough containers to actually ship the goods. So, you know, issues that you would never have anticipated um, previously uh, are coming to fruition, and and that's a problem right now. I mean, we're we're dealing with the the Chinese are going into Chinese New Year at the moment, and so the factories are have been rapidly trying to uh, get stock out the door, um, and we're hearing stories of factories full of stock, but no containers to put it onto, and so they physically can't get it onto the ships. So let me ask you the question that I think everybody who's listening to this is probably wondering in their heads. Uh, why don't you manufacture more in Australia? If you've got all these potential supply chain issues and then you had the 2020, you know, cluster of all those things happening that meant that it was going to be a disaster waiting to happen, um, why is it that we have a lessening degree of Australian manufacturing when all these other problems exist when you don't do it? Yeah, really good question. Um if I look at our business, and, and we've been going for nearly 45 years, uh, when we first started, uh, around 90% of our product was Australian-made. Today, it's probably about 15%. So it's been a massive change over the journey. And we, sort of coming from an engineering background, um, we got dragged into going offshore, kicking and screaming. Uh, we really did. But the, the challenge we've had is that when you've got countries with low-cost labour who are uh, able to produce the goods at a fraction of the price as to what uh, Australia does, it's very difficult. If you don't shift your manufacturing to countries where you can produce at a lower cost, you will simply become um, outpriced in your own market. And so we really had to look at what we were doing and, and, and shifting it offshore and, and so forth. But what's started to happen and where I think um, COVID has been really interesting is that as a lot of these low-cost countries, their labour costs have actually been increasing over a period of time, there's been a much bigger shift to more automation in manufacturing. Mm -hmm. And now we're looking at some of that automation that's actually going on and suddenly the labour isn't as significant a cost. And so we've had instances where we've been able to shift manufacturing from China into Europe and actually be more price competitive out of Europe than what we have in, in, in China. Is that so, because the tech associated with the manufacturing and the processes are already more well established because of the higher labour costs in Europe? Yes, absolutely. But then why don't yeah. we shift that to Australia? The, the challenge we've got, and it's, 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 I think it's going to happen more and more, but the challenge we've got is our volumes in Australia aren't huge. And so, you know, if you look at shifting from China to Europe, you've, you've got a, a, a population of, what, 300, 400 million people right on your doorstep. Freight is very cheap. You can produce it there. And, you know, a lot of this machinery is quite expensive too, as you can imagine. If you, if you put in a machine that has an output of, say, 10 million units a year, 
but the Australian market in total is only 4 million units a year. You've then got to be able to export 6 million units a year for that machinery to be viable. And then you're adding a significant freight cost into wherever it is that you're shipping to. And, and that's you're been increasing a... the cost to ship to those exports and the likelihood of people buying it in other countries with those inflated freight costs is is, uh, is yeah, unlikely. Mm. You are, whereas you might have machinery in that country that's producing that does not have those freight costs. So, look, it's not a... Um, and don't get me wrong, I'm not being negative on this. Uh, I think there will be more manufacturing come back to Australia as labour becomes, on, on many goods, uh, less and less of a component of what the goods are. And we look at our business and, and we're hopeful of being able to bring more manufacturing back into Australia um, over time. And I think with COVID, people have realised how exposed uh, certain countries around the world were, were, particularly on certain products. And there is a push from uh, governments and there is a push from uh, like-minded countries to say, look, maybe we need to bring some of this manufacturing back and how do we do that without being ridiculous about it? Um, you know, I've sat on a couple of government forums and, and things like that, and they said, look, we don't want to start making spanners in Australia again. You know, there's not much innovation in that product. You know, it's we're never going to be competitive. But can we produce something that has more innovation that, that we can be competitive on? And I think that's where we need to try and focus on. And that's where the discussion with policymakers are going more into the innovation space rather than the established products? Most definitely. Look, we don't want to go back to the protectionism of the 1970s where we say that we've got to be able to produce everything in this country. Um, you know, globalisation has been fantastic for Australia. You know, look at our iron ore exports and, and, and coal and, uh, and gas. Um, we want to be part of the global community. Globalisation does work, but maybe we took it too far. Maybe we sent too much of our manufacturing offshore and now we need to look at bringing some of it back. Well, let's and not even talk about those fact that those are not inexhaustible resources and we need to pivot because otherwise we're going right. to run out of stuff to sell. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really interesting conundrum and I think you've, you've brought in some interesting points. I hadn't given a lot of thought to the export and the freight aspect of exporting, <laughs> not necessarily bringing it onshore. Of course, there's that export element as well. And, and we don't have a large population and we don't have a large um, client base, I guess, um, for those who, who manufacture in high volumes. Let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, the, the impact of, of COVID, a little bit more on that disruption of the supply chain. And you mentioned that, obviously, you, you had one uh, relationship with a particular supplier or a particular country, had to quickly switch across. Um, how do you manage those relationships with your suppliers in terms of communication when you're, when you're just sort of... Um, I guess, struggling and, and moving quickly to, to keep your business afloat. How do those conversations go? Lots of Zoom meetings. <laughs> <laughs> We're all um, familiar with those. Yeah. <laughs> um, look, it was really, and, and I know I keep harping on this whole thing of, of communication, but that was such a critical thing. All of us in all of the corners of the world were watching this thing and thinking, wow, what does this mean for my business? Um, particularly manufacturers, um, but but all, you know, whether you're a retailer, whether you're a transport company, no matter what it does. So we, we kept in really close contact with all of our suppliers. Um, it was really interesting watching how different regions of the world were adapting to this. Uh, 
you know, I mentioned earlier that in, in February last year, I was in Europe and w- there I was travelling around, you know, Germany and the UK, and they were just in total denial about what was what was happening. You know, we were <laughs> hearing about Australia selling out of toilet paper and people panicking and banning people coming in from China, and we were thinking, what's gone wrong with Australia, you know, while, while we're away? Um, and then we got back and we saw it and we thought, wow. And you then look at what transpired in, in Europe and you look at what transpired in the United States, and I think there was real denial um, going on there. Um, we we needed, you know, and I come back to once again information. It was critical. Feeding information back to our factories, telling them what was going on in Australia, telling them where we were uh, situated, assuring them that our business was also in, in, in good shape and we were going to be able to ride this out. Uh, that was important as well. Uh, people were panicked. People were scared, it's, it's fair to say, um, because then what we were able to do was, as I said, we were able to work with them in terms of initially pushing shipments out, uh, cancelling orders, things like that. But then when we saw the very early signs that, well, actually, maybe this might go the other way, we seem to be getting busier, government suspending, we were then able to go back as quickly as possible and avert some of those decisions and and change uh, some of the things that we were doing. So that was that was really critical for us to, to keep in very close contact, uh, more so than probably any other time in the 45 history of this business. You mentioned data and how critical that was. Um, yeah. If you went back 10 years and you didn't have that real-time data and the software implementation that you obviously have in your business at the moment, would you have survived without that real-time data? would have been really difficult. Um, we, we were actually quite fortunate. Over the last five years, we'd been going through a process of generational change in the business. So we'd actually been looking at um, the business uh, as a whole, um, sort of trimming down where we needed to, innovating where we needed to. One of the things we'd done is move to a, a cloud-based ERP system to, to run the business with, and um, you know, and we also moved to a cloud-based phone system as well. So uh, they proved critical when suddenly I had to tell all of my staff, particularly down here in Melbourne, that they had to go work from home and we had to adjust quickly. We were able to run the business remotely uh, without a hiccup, and um, that was that was really important. Um, the other thing too is that you know your your basic financial reports, your P and Ls, your balance sheets, your cash flow reports, having that information at your fingertips to be able to make fast and quick decisions um, was critical. You know. As much as I was talking about communicating with our suppliers and our customers were also critical in that, and um, we had some fabulous relationships with some of our customers, and they were able to feed us data very quickly as to what was going on within their businesses. Um, you know, working with with your uh, with your team, um, looking at the um, information. And the other one was our financial providers in going through to those guys as well. So you got to understand, of course, even though the banks were getting a lot of support from the government during that time, being able to go to your bank, show them, you know, live, real-time financial data in terms of how the business is performing, talk to them about your plan, talk to them about where you're going. One of the things we were really concerned about coming into this, and I can remember the recession in the early 90s in Australia, and one of the things that happened was that customers pushed out payments, suppliers wanted to bring forward payments, uh, customers reduced their stock, increased their frequency of orders, which made a much higher cost to serve. 
and financial institutions really reined back credit very quickly. Um, what was this one was so we got on the front foot with our bank um, and, and NAB were fantastic for us through this process. And in fact, it went the other way where they were they were coming to us saying, what else can we do to help you in your business? We can see that your business is is actually travelling quite well through this. Um, we want to actually get behind you. And, and in fact, they were offering to lend more money, which was, which was the opposite of, of what I could have possibly envisaged was going to happen. So that relationship was quite important in that um, communication. It's interesting that you said that they came to you. Obviously, that real-time data was available to them and then you'd obviously opened the door previous to this situation starting where you were comfortable with that relationship and you had that um, those open levels of communication. I'm going to stop you there for a moment. We're going to go to a quick sure. ad break. When we come back sure. on Small Biz Matters, I want to talk to you more about that, um, I guess, that data communication, why that was so important in terms of cash flow and in terms of your supply chain. We're listening to Small Biz Matters. We will be back after this. This episode of Small Biz Matters is proudly sponsored by the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman's Office. Led by Kate Carnell since its establishment only four years ago, Aspifio has provided education, advocacy and support, including free assistance if a small business is involved in a dispute. The office also provides assistance for disputes that fall under the franchising, dairy, horticultural and oil industry codes. Kate Carnell, as an independent advocate for small business owners, has the legislative power to influence our nation's lawmakers, ensuring legislation and regulations are put in place to help small businesses grow and in these times, survive. Small businesses are the engine room of the economy and it's Aspifio's role to do all they can to ensure they have the freedom to innovate, employ and thrive well into the future. Uh, welcome back to Small Biz Matters. You're listening to Triple H 100.1 FM. Let's do... Where's my traffic sting? There. Triple H traffic report. Uh, Mount Kohler, that's near us. M1 Pacific Highway just past Karingai Chase Road. At the overpass, there's a crash involving a car towing a horse float. Oh, no. Heavy traffic conditions expect significant delays. Uh, the motorway is closed in a northbound direction. Wow, that's quite significant. Oh, no, wait, something else has popped up. These things move around all the time now that we're back into school mode again. Um, the live traffic New South Wales uh, bounces. It's quite, I think this is a really interesting indicator of COVID, actually. We could just monitor COVID and the fluctuation of traffic according to this particular website. Mossman, Spit Road near Spit Bridge, hazard a diesel spill is involving uh, northbound traffic and heavy traffic conditions in all directions as well. North Sydney, Warringah Freeway at Mount Street. There's a broken down car with heavy traffic conditions one of four southbound lanes are closed. Uh, Sydney forecast, I can look at the screen and I can see it's a maximum of 24 degrees, shower or two and windy today. I can also look outside the window and I can see that's a bit showery. Wednesday, 3rd of February, tomorrow 25 degrees and partly cloudy. Thursday, 28 degrees, partly cloudy. And Friday, 28 degrees, mostly sunny. Once again, my regular listeners will know that I'm having a little debate in my head as to what the difference is between partly cloudy and mostly sunny. But there you go. The pictures look the same. I get very confused every week. And that's my little joke for the week. Uh, Sydney Transport. Doesn't appear to be anything going on on Sydney trains for the North Shore or Western Line. But do keep an eye on the leaderboards as you approach. And you can, of course, go to 131500 to plan your journey. The small 
Biz Matters calendar. Let me tell you, if you are not already subscribing to our newsletter, this is a great way to find about all these things that are going on on the North Shore for small business. There's tons of free events, uh, things like um, the Hornsby Chamber of Commerce. We have our online events once a month. We have our after hours, business after hours events, which are in-person events. Yay. And we have coffee events once a month as well. There's also some fantastic things going on from the team at Book Yourself Solid and, of course, Venture Cafe every Thursday Thursday afternoon. Do some wonderful things um, in the online space with uh, really interesting information around innovation and tech and entrepreneurialism. So do check them out. They're on Thursdays, 3 to 8 p.m. So let's continue on with our interview today. We are speaking to Ben Joseph from Josco and we're having a fascinating discussion about not only the impact of 2020 in the realm of what COVID did to the manufacturing industry, but moving into 2021. Just before the break, Ben was mentioning how the importance of data meant that uh, you had a handle, I guess is a good way to describe it, on your cash flow. And not only you, but you mentioned that your banks and your financial institution had a handle on that as well. Um, is that because you already were had good communication and, and you had that good relationship with them that meant they could move quickly? I and mean, I can't imagine a bank moving quickly, but you've just described that they did. We... Um We'd had a relationship with the bank. It was it was fair to say it, it was it was fair. It was it was okay. But uh, we've actually got a lot closer to them uh, through this process. Um, funnily enough, our financial position has actually improved quite a bit over the last year. So we went into this expecting we were going to need far more assistance from the bank than what we then ended up needing. But throughout the process, they've come to know our business better, and and we've come to know them a lot better. And, look, I think there was a bit of both. There was, I think the banks were uh, very much instructed to get out to their customers and get an understanding of what's going on and work with those customers. And I think by us getting on the front foot and being able to give them, as I said earlier, real-time data, but also we were able to provide them with a presentation on where the business was at, how we were tracking, what we saw as the plans for the next year ahead, um, what was the impact of COVID, what were we doing, uh, went a long way to furthering that relationship and providing us with the resources should we need them uh, from the bank. And, look, I've been really impressed with uh, with what I've seen from, from the bank through you, this. You mentioned as well there was a sort of a, a cross, a, I'm going to say an open communication channel with your clients as well, your customers. Now, not all small businesses can have Um, I guess, that real-time data going both ways. You know what's coming in in terms of your supply chain, Um, but you also knew what was going out because of the the orders that were being placed. If you were speaking to a similar organisation that was starting out and they didn't have these levels of data and communication and tech integration, um, how would you stress the importance of having that information on hand? I would say get as much information as you can. If you if your customers can't provide it, look at industry bodies. Uh, look at um, you know we're a member of the the Chamber of Commerce. They were fantastic through this as well. Um, we're a member of the uh, Australian Institute of Company Directors. A lot of those organisations were able to provide us some some great data um, available. There are. Um, People like, and, and down here we have Business Victoria, we're, we're outstanding in reaching out to organisations. 
there is almost an overload of data. You've, you've, got to, you've got to weed through it a little bit sometimes or you can do a bit of an overload. But um, look for that information as, as much as you can. Find out what is available um, and then use that in mm. your decision-making is critical. It's interesting that you spoke about professional bodies as well in terms of data. They do a lot of surveys. They do a lot of industry um, information. They really have a finger on the pulse. And I think if you're yeah. not connected with that and you're not connected with the big data agents like, say, Zero Insights, for instance, or government bodies, then you're, you're pretty crazy not to, to... You wouldn't have that information. If you don't have it yourself and you don't have it about your industry, you're not really going to be able to move forward in terms of um, growing yeah, business. absolutely. And reach out to colleagues, you know, uh, you know, old university friends or school friends or whatever. I mean, I've, I've got a, a very good friend of mine who's in the waste removal industry. Now, you might look at that and go, that's really weird, but I can tell you, he has a great snapshot on what's going on in the economy <laughs> based on the amount of waste that's being collected at any given time. And I find that fascinating. But, you know, that's somewhere crazy. So reach out to as many people as you know and you'll be amazed where you'll actually get some of the information. That's interesting. We always talk about interconnectedness here on Small Biz Matters and the importance of being well-networked and well-connected and, but I hadn't thought across the way that data can feed into that level of communication as well. That's fascinating. Yeah. So overall, tell me about what are the main lessons that, I mean, we all talk about resilience. It's really the topic of the day and, and bouncing back. But for your perspective... As a manufacturer, what are the main lessons you're going to take from 2020 into 2021? The big thing for us is we've got on the front foot. Um, it would be very easy to crawl into a cave and try and wait for this thing to, to pass, uh, good and bad. Um, we have not only did we maintain all of our staff levels, we've actually gone out and recruited new staff in addition. Uh, we're actually doing a lot more work with design and innovation. Um, we saw that uh, in, a, in our industry there were a lot of multinationals who the minute this thing hit did a lot of redundancies, got rid of a lot of people because they were looking at it from a global perspective. Uh, and so I think in many ways they may have damaged uh, some of the opportunities that come out of this. So we're a small business. We're, we're a lot more nimble in terms of what we do. So we've actually invested in, in new 3D printers. We've invested in uh, industrial designers and that sort of thing to, to try and capture that gap and and move forward uh, in terms of what we're doing and um, taking more of a bullish approach uh, to what's going on around us. So uh, time will tell <laughs> as, to, as to where that goes. Um, look, we expect 2021 is, you know, I mean, I, I looked at New Year's Eve and everyone said, thank God, 2020 is gone, you we're into a new year. But I think we're still going to be dealing with this for another year or two at least. Uh, you know, even when the Western world all gets vaccinations, there's six, six, seven billion people out there. It's going to take a long time to actually get back to 2019 and where we were. Yeah, there's a lot of things in the media about the bounce back being linked with a vaccination process. But I suppose when you as a manufacturer live, exist and, and operate your business in a global economy, uh, the impact of the lack of vaccinations elsewhere in the world um, is really is, is really poignant, and that it does affect your supply chains and your ability to rely on your particular processes and procedures. Um, it's an interesting discussion, Ben. I wanted to thank you so much for joining me today on Small Biz Matters. We've learned about 
your uh, resilience between 2020 and 2021 and what you've learned, your insights into government policy and the future of the industry, and importantly, um, the real skills and abilities you relied on, such as your communication with not only your you know, finance provisions, but also for your key stakeholders and your suppliers and your supply chain. Uh, tell me a little bit about how people can find out more about what it is JOSCO does. Yeah, please. So you can go onto our website at uh, www.josco.com.au. Um, you can see many of our products in your local hardware or retail trade uh, industrial store. Um, and yeah, please go on and, and, and have a look. We've been around for 45 years and we're a very trusted Australian brand. And from what you've described today, it sounds like another 45 is well on its way. Thank you so much for joining so. me again. Thank ben. you. Now, Wonderful. Thanks, any, Alexi. No worries. If you've missed any of today's program, you can, of course, catch up via smallbizmatters.com.au where there are over 190 podcasts just like this one to help you learn and grow your business and learn from others like Ben. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. Join me next week where we've got another fantastic guest speaking to Small Biz Matters to help you get great small business education. My name has been Alexi Boyd. I will see you all next week. This week's episode was proudly broadcast from Triple H Studios in Sydney, Australia and sponsored by the Office of the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman. If you've enjoyed listening, go ahead and give us some thank you stars on your podcasting platform. It would be much appreciated. Then head to the Small Biz Matters website where you can listen to over 170 episodes, read more about our speakers and find out how to become a media partner. See you all next time.